Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you. Good to be back. So good to hear uh, so many of you talk to you coming in this morning. And my wife and I just got back from our two-week anniversary trip. And it's good to be, it's always good to go. And it's always good to come back. Amen. It's, there's nothing like your own bed, your own pillow, and uh, it's, it's always good to, to get back into the routine of things. I know that we've, you've heard it on the Look Through Life. I know Jason said it, but I, again, I just have to say it. You need to be here on October 8th. And not just October 8th, but the entire series. We have a six-week series planned. That's, that's a vision series about who, not only who we are, but the path that God is calling us to. And so I hope that you make every priority to make sure that you're here, not just for October 8th, but for the weeks uh, following as we, as we come together and unify around the calling and the vision that God has for us as a church. Um, so October 8th, I hope you're there for that. Uh, you know, so, so we're in this series on anxiety or joy. And really up until this point, a lot of the passages we've been dealing with have been very, um, you know, responding to anxiety, and what I want to do now is we're going to look at a passage of someone who is an expert in joy. Okay, you know how, why I know that? Because look, if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 16, Psalm 16 is where we're going to be this morning. I want to start with verse 11. I want to start with the last verse this morning as, as kind of as setting the table for us. Because Psalm 16, verse 11 David gives this, this is a miktam of David, and, and the, mik, the word miktam, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some theories on what this word means. It either means, uh, it has to do with the actual music, the tone of the music, or it has to do with, uh, it means engraved. And so some theories are it has to do with, you know, musical or the significance of it, that this was such a profound and unique and powerful psalm that it was, it was worthy enough to be etched in stone for memory. And I kind of love that, that idea of, of the potential, what that could mean. But, but in the, if you look at verse 11, this is David speaking not just flippantly, but he is speaking, this is a, this is a, these are words of experience. And this is what he says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 is one of my favorite psalms of all time. And, and that's, that verse 11 right there is probably one of my favorite verses of all time. Because David is saying something that is, you can tell this is coming from the deepest part of who he is. This is coming from his value. This is coming from his conviction. This is coming from his heart, his soul, his mind. He says, there's something that I know that you can have as well. And as I know that God makes known to me the path of life, and I know in his presence, there's this fullness of joy that I get to experience. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you, ever, do you ever watch or watch a show or you, um, you, you listen to someone who's got an amazing story to tell and they've got this life of transformation. They've got this, this story of I was this you know, dysfunctional you know, person with all kinds of problems and then this is what I've done. I mean, people, corporations pay people tens of thousands of dollars to come up for one hour and to share their life story of inspiration. 
Because we sit there as people and we, we hear and we see something that's, that's so amazing, so profound, that when we hear the story and we see the transformation that's taking place, there's something that stirs in all of us that says, I want that too. Well, Psalm 16, this last verse, to me, is a call to all of us. That this is not just the experience of one human being. This is the vision that I believe God wants you to have for your life as well. That, it's, that it, it, You might not be able to say this right now, but I believe that God wants every single one of us in this room. He wants every single follower of Jesus to say at some point in their life, God, you have made known to me the paths of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can you say that with conviction this morning? Can you say that with the type of, yes, I have tasted and seen how good God is. This is, I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care how long you've been a believer. I don't care how much you know theology. Verse 11 is a, is a, is a statement of transformation. Joy should be emanating from the people of God. And what I see for most of us and most of our lives is it's not happening. And, and, I, and I share this, it's, it's going to be hard. This is, joy is one of the hardest practices of the Christian. And yet we know in Christ and in God, we can have the joy that is supernatural. The world needs to see people with joy today. The world needs to see that joy is possible. And we have the opportunity as God's people, to share the story of joy in our own lives. There's this joy muscle that I think we've got just got to start flexing. I'm not sure how many of you listened to the podcast series we've done uh, to mirror this series, uh, but in the podcast, I've talked a lot about just the, uh, the lot of the science, a lot, you know, I tie in the science with the Word of God, uh, and maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't, but I, I want to bring this up again, and that is this. When you are anxious and fearful, it's activating a part of your brain called the amygdala that is continually producing these, these chemicals in your brain, which leads to your feelings and your emotions. And here is what is scientifically proven. The more you are afraid and the more you are anxious, the larger your amygdala gets. You know what that means? That the more you are afraid, the more you will be afraid. The more you are anxious, the more you will be anxious. But the opposite is true as well. The more that you practice joy, the more that you are in the, in the realm of rejoicing and hope and love and faith, the more that you do those practices, the more it will be easier to do that as well. It goes both ways. And so, so David here begins this, this psalm in Psalm 16, and he closes with this statement that I think is just so beautiful. And that's the, this is the, that's the presentation I want to give to you this morning. That's the vision. That can you, I want every single one of you to be able to say verse 11 in your life. That's what God wants in your life. Do you realize that? That this psalm is here because God wants you to have joy, fullness of joy. Not just a little joy. Fullness of joy. So how do we get there? Well, here's the main idea I want to leave you with this morning. If I could summarize Psalm 16 in one statement is this. With God, there is always a reason for joy. With God, there is always 
a reason for joy. Now, that, that is, that's going to fly into the face of what is natural and what is societal in our, in our day and age. But because but, most of us believe that joy is, is always tied to some kind of circumstance or some kind of goodness happening to me. But David's going to tie all the strings of joy to the person of God. That's what he does in this psalm. So let's look at this in, in, in Psalm 16. I wanted you to read the first, uh, first two verses here. Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The first, the first way, reason why we can have joy is that, number one, there's the root of joy. First, David starts with the root of joy in his life. He knows that, that life is hard. And the reason why we know that things are not going well for David, he, there are psalms that David writes where it's like, hey, sometimes he's just complaining about a lot of things. And he has reasons for complaint. People are trying to kill him. Something wrong is going on. There's, there's sin in, in his life or there's sin around him. And so there's lots of reasons for David to complain or to have issues and problems. And we see the emotions of David continually through many of the psalms. And the reason why we know he, things are not going well for David is look again in verse 1. It says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. That word preserve is a word that means watch over me, protect me, guide me. In you I take refuge. When you think of going into a refuge, you go to a refuge when you're in trouble. So David is starting out the psalm saying, God, preserve me. I need you. There's some things going on in my life. We don't know what they are. And in some ways, it's good that we don't know what they are. Because you know what's easy for us to do as human beings? Someone's like, well, I've got this problem. And you're like, yeah, but that ain't nothing. You don't know my life. But, but can, you, can you relate and identify with the feeling that David has right now? God, I need your help. God, I need you to watch over me. I need a refuge right now because the storms and the issues and the problems in my life are too much for me. And God, I need you to do something. David is going through something right now. We don't know what it is, but it's something. And he has this moment when, look at verse 2, he's going through something significant. He's going to God as a refuge. I need you right now, God. There's problems in my life. We can all identify with that, right? We can all identify with problems in life. I heard this statement a couple weeks ago, and I, I, I've used it a number of times. I don't know where it originates from, but it's this. We all have problems. And the re if you didn't have any problems, you'd be dead. Okay? So a lot of times we're like, we're like oh, I've got problems. Yes! We all have problems. We live in a world, Jesus even said, in this world you, have, you will have much trouble. We know we live in a broken, sinful world where there are people that are out there to do evil and harm against, whether it's good or, you know, against us or against other people. There's a lot of reason for us to say, man, there are issues going on. Maybe you look at the world, maybe you look at your own life. Maybe you look at the people around you that you love, but there's something inside this. Is there's something that's not right, and God, I need you right now. But he has this moment in verse 2. And he resets. And, and he says something. Now, in the English, it says, I say to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, you are my Lord. And, it, and there's two different Hebrew words he uses here. He says, 
I say to Yahweh, the official, the covenant name of God, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai, my Lord, my master. David is, David's doing something. He's saying, I know who you are, but right now, you're more than just a theory. You're more than just a distant God out there. Right now, you're mine. You're my Lord. You, you, are, you, are, you are important to me. David resets it, and he says this, I have no good apart from you. David has this reset moment in his life that says, okay, I've got problems going on. I've got some issues that, God, I'm coming to you for. And really, let's not skip over that. When you have problems, when you have things in your life that you can get anxious over, that you can feel overwhelmed with, when stress and worry starts invading, where do you go? Do you turn to God as your refuge? Remember one of the things that we've said, I know my dad came last week and, and um, you know, he, he shared a lot of his story, but it, the, the previous weeks when Dan and I were preaching, we tried to give you guys some sayings, some, 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 some de- definitive truths to hold on to when those feelings of anxiety hit. And we gave you some statements to say, right? God sees me. God knows me. God's near me, God's here, God hears me, God cares for me, God loves me. They're, these are the things that we can hold on to. That is our refuge. And David's running to him because he says, God, I don't have joy apart from you. One of the things, I, I know I, I faced this this week. There's something I was not happy about in my life. I don't like this, God. And in that moment, when there's something I'm not happy about, there's, there's a belief that takes root in all of us. And maybe you're there this morning, and this is what you're saying to yourself. If only I had this, then I could be joyful. God, if only this problem was gone, then I could have joy. If only. If only. Man, listen. We can live in the if-only world all day long, waiting for the circumstances to just be perfect before I'm able to have joy. Listen, I've talked to a lot of young couples you know, in the 20-some year plus years of being pastoral ministry, and there's always, I always come across two different kinds of people, and it's always two major decisions in life, when to get married and, or who to date or, or when to have kids. And I will meet, and I, I don't talk to a lot of young women, I talk to a lot of young men, and a lot of young men are, you know, they're looking for the perfect woman in life before they're able to say, okay, I'm going to marry them. It, it, she doesn't exist, okay? You can look all day long. There's always going to be something. It, 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 or the couple is like, we, we want to make sure we have enough money or we want to make sure we have enough money before we have kids. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough money to have kids. So just start having kids. All right? Just start having kids. When you are waiting for the circumstances around you to be perfect before you move forward, that's not the way of God. God is saying, you can, David is saying, there's a good in my life. There's a good I have that is beyond the circumstances. 
So I don't have to worry about the if only conversation with God. If only this was different. If only this was gone. If only this person was, was, would treat me better. If only I had this ability. If only I had this much money. If only my kids were better behaved. If only my spouse treated me the way that I deserve to be treated. If only, if only, if only, if only, if only, then I could smile and have joy. Nope. That's, that's a lie. You can't have joy now. Why? Because David says the root, the source is God. There is, he is making a declaration. I have no good apart from you. There is a good. This is key. There is a good in David's life that transcends circumstances. One of the things that we went to go see, my, my wife and I, we traveled around, uh, we, we flew up to Denver and we did the kind of a big national park tour and we went to Rocky Mountain National Park and then we hit the, the Black Hills of South Dakota and Wyoming and saw a lot of just amazing things uh, on our trip. It was, it was beautiful. But there was one thing that we saw, I took a picture of, we took a lot of pictures, but I want to show you this picture. It's called Chapel on the Rock. And it was a, it, this is this was built about 50 minutes outside of Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, it's a Catholic chapel, but do you notice how they built this structure on the base of this giant rock, right? I mean, you don't get better foundations than that, people. That's a pretty good foundation. That's why it's called Chapel on the Rock. And when I think about what, what, what David's saying here, what David is saying is, I have no good apart from you. He's saying there's something, there's a bedrock of goodness that, God, you give me. There's something so much deeper than what's going on in my life. Yeah, there are things I need you in my life to preserve me from. I've got problems. I need to go to you as my refuge. But there is a good, if I can reframe my thinking in my mind and my perspective to say, I've got these things going on in my life, and these are my problems right here. But man, if I, if I take a step back, there's some, there's some things underneath here that's in the, the bedrock of my life that's up, really upholding me. That is, there's some good things. And listen, if we don't pay attention to, to the bedrock good of what God is doing in our life, we will walk around as miserable Christians. There are things in your life right now, you might not realize it, but there are things in your life right now that God is saying, there's, there is a good that you can hold on to right now. There's a good that's greater than the bad. And David goes on, and this is the, the next part of the psalm is the reasons for joy. First, we have to make sure that our root of joy is in God. But the reasons for joy, the good that, the good that is no, no, no good apart from God, these are the good things. He's going to start just mentioning these, these things from verses 3 to 8. He starts giving these, these good things that he can hold on to in the midst of his trouble. Look at verse 3. It says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The first reason for joy that, that David gives is God's people. God's people. Now, I'm going to have to, listen, I almost wish I could have done a sermon series on Psalm 16. There's so much good content here. I'm going to have to fly through these things. But Psalm 16, verse 3, he says, the first reason is God's people. Listen, there. When, when God invites you into a relationship with him, this has been true from, for God ever since the beginning of time. He invites you into a, a, a relationship with him, but he also invites you into a community of his people. He's always done that. And what we call that community today, the church, 
And yes, I know that there, sometimes church can be messy and sometimes you can be hurt by people that claim to be God's people. But what God has done, and, and, and maybe you're sitting here and you can, bend, you can resonate with this statement. There are people in your life that are blessings to you because of the way that they love you, the way that they encourage you, the way that they support you. They, they, they are surrounding you in a time of need. And there are times in our life when literally another person or other people become the hands and the feet of Jesus to us. David's going through that. David can say, yeah, listen, there's been psalms that David writes, you know, this person's trying to kill me. Saul's trying to kill him. His, his son is trying to kill him. He's got all, he's got all, he's got problems. He, and he's had people betray him. His greatest counselors betray him. There are, there are relationships in David's life that have caused him pain, have caused him anxiety. But he also knows this. There are a lot of people in his life that he can look at and say, man, you bring joy to my life. You bring joy to my life. Once a month, uh, you, I'm not sure if I've even mentioned this, but once a month, I get together with other pastors in this Lake Norman area. Uh, I, I lead the Four Charlotte. Four Charlotte is a, is a network of pastors and churches uh, in, the, in the Charlotte area. Um, and there are pastor collectives meeting all over the city of Charlotte. They've got a relationship with over 300 pastors in our city. And I have, I have the great privilege of helping lead the Lake Norman area pastors meeting with uh, Mike Moses, the pastor at Lake Forest, and Zach Burst, who's the pastor over at Grace Covenant. And once a month, we as pastors come together, and usually it's about a do- between a dozen and 20 guys that will come in, and we will just have a meal together, and we will laugh, and we'll talk, and we'll pray and I'm just telling you, there's something, what I love is that we live in a community where the spiritual leadership of our city is unified. We're unified. We don't, we don't walk in there with, you know, well, my church is, but no, no, no. We, we come in there as fellow servants who love Jesus, who need Jesus, and who need help. And, and I've been in those rooms before with, with, with these other pastors where we have we have encouraged, we have uplifted. And I'll tell you what, it's once a month and it's worth every minute I'm there. I'm blessed. I feel so blessed I get to be a part of a group like that. And that's just, guy, I, I could spend the rest of my sermon talking about the ways in which people like you, it's people in this church that have blessed me. The ways my family, my wife has blessed Like David is saying, there are, pe- there are relationships in my life that are so good. Thank you, God. Thank you for these people. Can you say that? That's the first one. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Hey, you know what a good idea is for joy? Don't do things that will bring you sorrow. That makes sense, right? And David is saying this every single time that I see someone go after another God. Now, in that, in that context, other gods were very, um, they're very profound. I mean, you could go to the God of, of storms, the God of, of you wanted to rain, you go to that God. I want the God of fertility. I want my wife to have a child or a boy. I go to this God. They were these kind of, you know, gods in department store gods of whatever I want in my life. I go to that God. I go to that deity and I serve them. And David was saying, every, when I see people play the idol game, when I see people play saying, I, I want to manipulate and use these gods for my own benefit. 
And these are all, God, these are all idols that represent the desires of, of humans, of humanity. That every single time I see someone go after another idol, I see them at the end of the day saying, I've got more sorrow than I, than I started with. Because there is a disappointment when you feel like, man, if I j-, remember the only if? If only, if only this was true in my life. And sometimes God will give you the only if scenario. And he will give you what you wanted. And you know what you will find in that moment when you get what you wanted? It's not enough. It's not enough. And, and David is acknowledging, I've seen people, I'm not going to worship them. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to mention them. There is, a, there is a boundary I'm going to place in my life for the idols in my life. You see, some of us in this room have sorrow in our lives because we have made agreements and we, have, we, have, we pursue things in life. We pursue pleasures. We pursue people. We pursue idols of our heart to say, if I only had this, then I would have joy. And you, whether you get it or don't get it, you continually have sorrow because you are not letting God be your joy. You're not letting God fill that void in your life. And David is acknowledging, when you go after other gods, you will have sorrow. You know, I, I know this is a dated illustration, but, but maybe all of you have seen the, the comic strip of, Char, of Peanuts when Char, with Charlie Brown and Lucy. And Charlie Brown and Lucy, there's this one famous scene that we, it's, there's multiple uh, comic strips of this when Lucy's holding the football and asks Charlie Brown to kick it. And if you've seen this enough, whether you watch watched the cartoons or read the comic strips, every single time there's this dialogue and Lucy somehow convinces Charlie Brown to do what? To try to kick the football. And we know what's going to happen. We know at the last moment, she is going to yank that football away and what's going to happen to Charlie Brown? Whiff it and fall flat on his back. And yet he does it over and over and over and over. Guys, you can look at Charlie Brown and be like, wow, what an idiot. We do the same things. We do the same things when we believe if I just get, if I just can have that idol, if I can just have that pleasure, I will be satisfied. And God, you are experiencing the sorrow of your own doing because you are pursuing something that God says will never give you satisfaction. Hey, no other gods. No other gods. If you want joy in your life, get rid of the other idols in your life. Number three, look at verse five and five and six. The Lord is my chosen portion in my club. cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, notice he's saying Yahweh. Yahweh is my chosen portion in my cup. Those are two words that are used to describe food and drink. When you say portion, most of the time that word is used, it's used in, in description of the portion of food someone receives. And so he's saying, God, you are, you are the one who gives me that daily sustenance. When I compare the food I have, and again, David's a king. So you think he, he's getting the best food. And, and, and here's what we all know. If we, just, if we think, if I just have that, that thing, that, that meal, that, that thing that will satisfy me, it always, and eventually, you're still going to be hungry. Six hours later, it doesn't really satisfy. And, and, here's, and here's the third one, God's provision. God, we, have God's, uh, we have God's people, no other gods, God's provision. David looks at God as his portion of his cup. You are, you are greater than the food and drink that can satisfy me today. And then he says, 
Second part, you hold my lot. Now that word lot is used to describe the, the lot that most people would have as far as their inheritance. If you, when you're reading through the Bible and you get to those places in the Bible, you, maybe you're reading through the Bible in a year, and you get to those places, maybe the, end, this, the second half of the book of Joshua, and they're dividing up the land according to lot. And why are they doing that? Because there is an inheritance that every family, every tribe, uh, you know, clan has a certain portion, a lot you know, assigned to them. And this is their family lot in perpetuity. And so what David is saying is, and land in those days, that was security. Now, now, and one of the things that worked in the, in the ancient Israelite culture, and according to the law of Moses is, now, you could, if you ran into hard times, you could sell that land and you could, to other people, but at the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, everything would reset. And if you had sold that land, it would eventually come back to you. To have land, to have a lot, to have an inheritance, it was guaranteed financial security. What David is saying is, what I need for today and what I need in the future. So, so whether it's you know, the satisfaction, the provision I need to make sure that there's a roof over my head today, the food I eat today, and in the future, my future security. You know, we think all the time about those two things in our life. How am I going to pay my bills today? And how am I going to afford retirement when I get there? All of us think about those things. And David is saying this, God, you're the one. There's no provision in my life that's greater than you. Because every other security, every other provision, it's always going to lack something and never really give me what I really want. You are that for me. You are my provision. That is a good that I have. That God, your love, your grace, your presence, your power, these are things I need more than food and drink. These are things I need more than, than financial security. God, I need you. And when we recognize all that we have in Christ Jesus, excuse me, <coughs> when we understand what we have in Christ Jesus, we, we can sit back and say, no, look what he says in verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You know, when we look at God as our inheritance, we look at God as our portion, what we can say is, God, I'm content with what I have. I'm content with my life. I'm content with the spouse you've given to me. I'm content. It doesn't mean that things don't need to change, but I know this. I'm going to look at the things that I do have as a gift. I'm going to look at, at what you have given to me. And, and what contentment is, is simply being grateful for all the things that God's given to you. And there are things that God has given every single one of us in Christ, through Jesus, his salvation, his presence, the material goods that we have. There's so many things that we can say, God, the life you have given to me, I am blessed. And if we don't reframe our thinking to realize the good that we have from God, we'll miss it. Fourthly, verses 7 and 8. This is God's counsel. God's counsel. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David is experiencing, experiences the presence and the closeness and the counsel of God. Remember, David is king, and, and here's the thing all of us want, you know, 
let me just say this. When the, the more authority and the more leadership that you have to exercise, the harder life gets. Do you ever look at pictures of people that, you know, they, they go into the presidency and then four to eight years later what they look like? I mean, I, was, I, was, I found this book in the Goodwill a couple uh, weeks ago. and I was, It was a book simply on the photos of Lincoln. And you start with Lincoln of where he was in, in uh, 1860 and where he was in 1865 when he died. I mean, it was just, whoa. He had been through, a, he aged 20 years in five. Why? Because leadership will do that to you. Responsibility will do that to you. David, you know, maybe you feel that in life. You know, some of the reasons why we have anxiety is because we have been given more and more opportunity, more and more responsibility, more and more authority. Maybe it's in our jobs, in our families, whatever it is. And you have now this responsibility and it's stressing you out. And David is saying this, when I, the greater my responsibility is, is the greater opportunity for me to, to get close to God. I'm not alone. That when God gives you opportunities to lead, and when God gives you opportunities to influence, and when God gives you opportunities for responsibility, God does not abandon you in those moments. David says, my greatest moments are when God's my counselor. He's at my right hand. The right hand counselor, I mean, the right hand man of the king is the person who stood right by his throne and says, here's the best thing you need to do. And it's really amazing because God is, he's the king of the universe. And David is saying, the king of the universe, Yahweh, he serves me. He serves me in a way that he is my counselor. And maybe you've experienced it. I've heard so many stories this week of how God spoke to people and said, I mean, God, help me with this. And God opened this door. And, and, and even this morning, even this morning, I, you know, I study all week for this sermon. I wake up this morning with just this thought in this verse in my head. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is, yes. That is a perfect verse. That's a perfect passage. It's a perfect idea that I, I did not think about. The, the, listen, every week I get up here, you think it's me? My best ideas, my best illustrations, my best anything is like, that was God. That was God. That was God. That was God. Everything in my life that, that I can point to and say, well, that was pretty successful. That didn't come from me. God gave me the ideas. God led me to the right people. God opened the doors. And when you look at your life, what do you see? Do you see the hand of God? Do you open God into your life and say, God, I need you right now. I need you as my counselor. There's a, the reality is God loves to be close to us in our time of need. You know, every single one of us, we have these little devices in our pockets, in our purses, and we can pull them out and we can say things like, hey, Siri, now, I know I'm going to trigger someone's phone right now. Or, hey, Alexa. Or we type in chat to chat GPT. We go to these, we go to these, you know, these, illust these, these digital assistants, this artificial intelligence for, for help, for information. But there is a difference between information and wisdom. Those little digital assistants you have, they can never give you wisdom. People can give you information. But wisdom alone, counsel, comes from God. And that's what God gives to us. These are the good things that God gives to us. And these, are, these are the reasons that you and I can have joy today. I don't know your circumstances. I know you have problems. But you have a reason for joy. 
And that leads us to the, the, the last part here in verse 9, which is our response of joy. Verses 9 and 10 says this, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We see here that David now takes everything that he's gone through. He's, he, he has a problem. He goes to God. He reframes his mind. He reminds himself of the bedrock of good in his life, and he follows through the good that he has from God. And because of that, he says, therefore. Now, there's something that happens. Here's, here's, the, here's what we have to remember. In verse 9, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. There's something that has to take place between, see, over here, we have our problems, we have our circumstances, some good, some bad. We also have, we also have the good, the bedrock good that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's some good things, but there, if we just kind of know this and don't apply it, we will miss out on joy. And so what God is saying is, take a look at all these things, and there has to be this, there has to be this bridge that we cross. There has to be something that we respond and say, I will not let just the information and the truth and the reality of God's good and God's purpose and God's presence, I'm not going to just let those stay over here. I'm going to let it actually impact my heart, impact my mind, impact my voice, impact my body. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. He is able now to take what, who God is and the truth and the reality of life that God has given to them and say, now I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond. And for you today, what is that? What is that? How do we cross that bridge from the truth and the reality to my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices? I, I, you have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How do we get to the response? Well, to me, that the bridge that the bridge we have to cross is the gospel. The gospel always brings us back to our deepest desires. I love what it says there in verse ten. This is a verse that's actually quoted in reference to the fulfillment, the person who fulfills this perfectly is Jesus. Jesus was not abandoned. His soul was not abandoned to death, to the underworld. But instead, he, he did not see corruption. His body did not corrupt or corrode. He rose from the dead. And, and, and there's these two verses I want you to see. The first one is in Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. And this verse uh, that that the author of Hebrews writes towards the end, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and founder, perfecter of our faith, uh, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you realize, listen to me, Jesus, at his darkest moment, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, even in the sorrow he held with one hand, he was also able to hold on to joy. See, what we have to do in life is learn how to hold on 
to sort. Yeah, there are some sorrowful things. There's some hardships. There's some problems. I get it that you're going through right now. God sees it too. But there's also a joy that I can hold on to. And if Jesus was able to hold on to joy in his darkest moment and endure the cross, he endured the cross because he, there was a joy that was greater than anything that the evil of man could do. The evil of the world, the evil of the demonic. There was, there was the, the power, the supernatural power of Jesus is joy. Is when we think about that, that should drive us to joy ourselves. That is the reason why you can have joy. Last verse, John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If Jesus was able to have joy, was able to hold joy on his way in enduring the cross, despising its shame, because he could see at the end he'd be sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father, that right hand. And then you see this, this right hand is mentioned again, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, Jesus was able to see the joy beyond the sorrow. And here's what, here's what we need to hold on to today. Here's what I want you to remember today. And this is what will build that bridge. Jesus is the one that makes joy possible because what he's provided for us through his blood on the cross. Because through Christ, through his death and through his resurrection, here's the promise that you have in Jesus Christ. That every pain, every sorrow, every heartache, every anxiety, every temptation, every problem has an expiration date with Jesus. Your problems in Christ have an expiration date. And if that doesn't give you joy, nothing else will. Yeah, there are some hard things. I get it. Jesus, Jesus was sorrowful in that garden, but we also know this. There is a joy that sustained him enduring the cross. And if he did that for you, that means that the same joy, if Jesus, if Jesus, what Jesus said is true in John 15, that I'm speaking these things to you, abide in me. And if you abide in me, then the, I'm saying these things to you so that my joy, the joy that Jesus had going to the cross can be in you today. And that is the choice before you. There's always a reason for joy. With God, in Christ, there's always a reason for joy. Three questions, then I'm done. Number one, first question is this. Who or what are you turning to as a refuge? Who or what? What is your source? What's the root of joy? Is it your circumstances or is it something else? What are you turning to? What's that thing that you're saying, man, I've got problems. Who am I going to turn to? If you do not turn to God in the midst of your problems, your problems will only multiply. Your anxiety will only multiply. Your sorrow will only multiply. You've got to turn to him. Number two, how are you focusing on God's reasons for joy? How are you focusing on God's reasons for joy? Maybe those four things that, that, that David mentions here. You know, the, the, again, what the cross makes visible to us is those things, his provision, his counsel. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of us. He's given us the church, his people. Listen, there's so many reasons for joy this morning. Are you holding on to them? Are you, 
Are you, is that the bedrock that you're turning to right now? And then lastly, how will you practice rejoicing? How will you practice rejoicing? Listen, one of the best ways you can practice rejoicing is singing. When we get up and sing, when you come in here on Sundays and you don't sing, you're not practicing the worship. Therefore, we know when we walk in the doors on Sunday morning, it is not, what do you got for me this morning, Jason? It's not it. We walk, in the, we walk in rooms like this every single week as the people of God that we have been scattered throughout the week. And we come in here collectively and we walk in here because of Christ's love and Christ's presence and Christ's power and Jesus' promises to you for the future. And so every single time we walk into this room, we can say, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. It doesn't matter if you resonate with the song or not. It doesn't matter if you like the song or not. Jesus gives us a reason to sing. Gives us a reason to sing. So sing. How will you practice rejoicing this week? The opportunity for joy is before you. Will you do? There's always in God, through Christ, there's always a reason for joy. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. <clears throat> and right now, I just want to I want to invite all of you right now in this room, and maybe, maybe what's where you are right now in the psalm that we just read, this, the, where you are personally is, God, I just need you as a refuge. And I'm just going to invite you right now. Maybe, maybe that's where you are at. And I want to invite you right now to say, God, I'm turning to you right now. Remember what Dan preached on two weeks ago, casting your cares upon him. Let Jesus carry them. And just Maybe that's what you need to do right now. In the, in the, in the quietness of your seat, you need to go to God as your refuge. Cast your cares upon Him. That's number one. Number two, I want you right here before we sing, I want you to spend the next few moments thanking God for the good that is in your life. Maybe you walked in here with sorrow. Maybe you walked in here burdened. Maybe you walked in here anxious. But you can leave here with a heart that is glad and your whole being rejoicing. Last thing I want to just say is this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and there the promises and the power and the presence of Jesus that we talked about are not yours. You do not have a reason for joy because you do not have a personal relationship with him. So no matter how hard you try, no matter what things you pursue, there's an emptiness in your soul that you have, and it's a God-shaped hole. And the only one that can fill it is Jesus Christ. And so what I want to invite you to do today is to, is to talk to someone. We have a prayer team out in the lobby. Myself, I'll be out there as well. And if you have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to have the joy that you've been looking for, to have the relationship with God that you need, I'm going to invite you to do that. You might, you might, not, you might have a lot of questions. That's okay. We all have questions about God. But I want you to, I, I pray that you will come and make sure that the most important relationship that you can ever have with God himself is secure today. It's my last invitation. Father God, as we get ready to leave here this morning, Lord, I pray that there would be this reality, that, that we would see the vision that we see in verse 11 that we, we can testify to that you have made known to us the path of life, that, that 
at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We can taste those things. God, I, I just pray, God, that you would fill us up, that we would be a church, we'd be a people of joy, and that the world would see the joy of the Lord inside of us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.